Hello. Welcome to Haunted Picture Palace. This is Season 1, Episode 3. It is. We're looking at The Craft. This is Ben. Hello. I am Ben. This is Amelia. Oh, hi. So, uh, just before we start... There are, as befits horror films generally, there are some themes which uh, we think you should know about before we go into this. Yes. So, slight trigger warning for... Two different variations of attempted sexual assault or rape. Yep. Trigger warning for extreme self-harm and trigger warning for spiders because I know a lot oh. of arachnophobes and they yes. will not be okay with watching this if we haven't <laughs> warned you. <laughs> spiders and snakes and bugs, oh my. Yes, yes. That, I think that just about... I think that's I think it. That covers it. Yeah, yep. splendid. Let's crack on. So, welcome. So, welcome, thank you. And to you and all of our, all of you at home. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad that happened. So, <laughs> Twilight wishes it could do teenage angst as supernatural powers. Anything like this film. Anything like this film. There were issues. So we'll start with the theme. <laughs> Anywho, what are we talking about? We're talking about The Craft. Cool. Uh, the 1996 teen... I was going to say teen horror. I I wouldn't quite call it a horror film, but then, what do I know? You were okay with being covered in snakes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's some horrifying things happening. I suppose, yeah, teen horror. Teen horror is probably yes. probably right. But yeah, I suppose something will come, come coming of age mockumentary onto later because it is it is a high yeah. school film in some ways. Yes. And then in other ways, it is. Yeah, almost a horror film, I guess. Yeah, written by Peter Filardi, who um, I possibly pronounced his name incorrectly there, but mm-hmm. um, but he he wrote Flatliners. Is his other the other sort oh, of big thing on his CV? I enjoyed Flatliners. Yeah, Were you too. a fan? It's a yeah. weird one. Is it um, Kevin Bacon again? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Kev. It's our Kev and his des- endless desire to do science, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, not quite as bad as Invisible Man, but worth a shout. Actually, Flatliners is good fun. It's good film um, and horrible. Yes, but that was just his background, if you'd like. She sees a snake. Well, so our movie opens on young Sarah, who's just moved to a new town. Yes, Sarah, played by Robin Tunney. Um, But she sees a snake. Um, She is seeing this snake in her dad and her stepmother's new home. Yep. She's pretty much Bella from Twilight. See, I've not I've not seen Twilight, so I'm, I'm no. Little, but it's um, important that you know how similar they are, like down to the clothes they wear in this beginning scene. And desperately, desperately, not a Twilight fan will fight you on it. Anyone, but it's the parallels are really, really clear. Someone literally just saw the craft and was like, "That's the gal for me." She's a little bit old for the role. Let's go for Kirsten Stewart. Maybe we should cover Twilight actually at some point. We should because it's desperately haunted by. Well, it haunts. Um, <laughs> it haunts the leading man. Yes, that's true. He yes, despises he it. Yeah, he can't get. Well, I see. He can't get away from it. He has done some work Incredible recently. Incredible, good. Really yeah, good I mean, hey, the lighthouse, right? Yeah. So I kind of want her house, <laughs> uh, the house that they move into, leaks and all, and it's that very classic trope of girl moves to a new city. We see it in Mean Girls. We see it in Ten Things I Hate About You. We see it in. all of these teen movies and again we're going to talk about the comparison there a little bit later on and where that where this film sits within teen high school the pantheon the teen high school film pantheon yeah 
the the house as well the new house the sort of crumb the new crumbling house if you'd like is a thing in gothic literature gothic as a term as in goth sort of, is the term that comes from architecture right the big yes. gothic pile and um, the new house here is a stand-in for the crumbling pile from 1790s literature and then a strange snake man almost a direct lift from Anne radcliffe or similar absolutely yeah it's just yeah. that it, we're, we're transposed to the new world well, it's, um, yeah. But it, I think it is significant, and it especially becomes significant later, that she's not just in, like, a little apartment or a dorm room somewhere or something. Yes. Her, the house that she's in is a bit creepy. Yeah, absolutely. And snakeogram does not help. But <laughs> we'll come to snakeogram. I just want to briefly mention her incredible outfit here. And you're going to hear this a lot from me because I have a special place in my heart and soul for um, terrible 90s fashion. Actually, this one's a particularly nice one. It's a 90s style mini dress, um, super popular now. It's very high street anyway, and uh, still, and it seems to have been a trend for about five years now um, right. because trends don't work the same as they used to. <laughs> um, so it's a mini dress and Cuban heel combo. Really nice, really subtle, but also there, as the film progresses, as each of the characters becomes more powerful, spoiler alert, they wear less and less. Yeah, uh, and we saw something similar with Rosemary's Baby, right? So every time she was naked, she was powerful, more or less. That's a good point. Um, and now again, we're using that as a witchcraft tool to be like, "Hey, witches show more skin." Newsflash: We don't. So Snakeogram turns up saying, "Got your snake." Um, <laughs> get your snakes here. <laughs> Hot fresh snakes. Get them while they're venomous. Yeah, I just want to talk to you. Yeah, that's your harbinger, right? Harbinger, harbinger. Yeah. <laughs> We've, take your pick we've discussed this word a lot uh, <laughs> harbinger um, but not really bringing any haas not binging all the haas not binging all the haas no just being eerie and as you say yeah it's a character from a Victorian novel right yeah. where we get this kind of eerie happening it brought to my mind the Dracula style thing of the villagers being like oh you don't <laughs> want to go to that house yes. that's nuts you know yes. yeah <laughs> and uh, he turns up as if he's a regular with his snake delivery um, no it, it it is strange even in the context of all of the weirdos that we meet later on he does seem to be rather a singular sort of odd yeah. figure but nancy does reference i suspect that there were many more scenes to do with snakes that were cut that because um nancy talks about how powerful the serpent is later on in the film mm. so they are trying to make reference to it but i do think that there was a lot more to it than that she does a really good scream there yeah but then the poor snake goes in for a cuddle and gets speared <laughs> just wanted a just little, wanted snake, a little cuddle. snake cuddle yeah her hair's an interesting point right for me so a couple of interesting points one is hey guess what it's a wig yeah it's not her real hair no a couple of dots i only connected today after watching this while researching is uh, that uh, robin tunney here is fresh off her starring role in empire records mm -hmm. which is a film that is completely unsuitable for this podcast <laughs> but is a it was a great favorite of my teenage years being mm -hmm. sad as it is in a record shop and she has a shaved head for that role and of course with the way hair works and the way <laughs> filming schedules work, it hadn't grown back in time for it to be in this. So she auditioned with a pixie cut and got given the role with a pixie cut, but then then was made to wear the wig. I don't know why. Well, um, I imagine for the glamour to work, but also so she didn't look more rebellious than Nancy, who had the short hair and the kind of um, needed to be the wild one, which is interesting. Actually, initially, Robin Tully auditioned to be Nancy. Oh, yes, um, I could see that. 
she yeah so that's an interesting point is that actually that would have been quite interesting casting but then you would meet Farusa and be like oh yeah, no, clearly, if if she's gonna if Ruth is yeah. gonna be in the film, she's she's got to be Nancy. There's no yeah. no other way around it. But it's funny because watching the film and in my notes here, I actually made comment on how not on trend for the time Sarah's hair is. So Sarah right. has the exact consistency of hair that I had in the nineties, which is I have blow dried this, and I've never used any product. So it's just kind of big, and there's a lot of flyaway, and it's definitely just the color brown. But really interesting that they went with that because obviously that's meant to mean that she, you know, that communicates something that communicates that she is sort of a bit depressed, actually. Yeah. And that she doesn't really care and that she doesn't mind and that she's come from a place where that doesn't matter. Yeah. And we get all of this because we do get her backstory later on. But this is sort of straight off the bat visual cues. Yeah, totally. For who she is. And again, the three main characters the other main characters that are not Sarah, are all characterised by their specific gait, by their specific walk when they enter. So they just walk through the corridor, and it's not even... It's just that kind of half slow-mo, right? Yeah. Um, They walk through the corridor, they are all dressed for their appropriate levels of rebellion, and Roger, the character Roger, who is in Clueless... Yes. As the same character, (laughs) more or less. (laughs) More or less. A bit more likeable. We had... Exactly, yes. We had a, a dispute about this off mic, and he is... He is more likeable in Clueless. He's lovely in Clueless. Yeah, he's the sweet skater boy. But he has that skater boy archetypal teenage look of the 90s. Yeah. Um, and his response to seeing Nancy and her gang walk down the corridor was, oh, I thought it was Satan. You know, <laughs> like, and it's such a good, such a good teenage read. So boyish. By the way, Nancy has a noose on her locker like a goth yes. boss. <laughs> um, the ultimate handle. The floating pencil trick is a yes. teenage magic magical favorite right? and it spins which is like one up it's interesting as well i'm a big buffy fan as if nobody could have guessed that and there are moments uh, where specifically uh, willow is fixated on being able to move a pencil you know and it becomes yeah. a trope not just because of that film it continues to be a thing well, that's that... true but it must have this film must have been an influence so the yeah. the movie of buffy the vampire slayer is 92 and yeah. the series is picked up in 97 and this came out in 96 yeah. and obviously the big one that ripped this film off wholesale is charmed yes and uh, there was dispute that i'm going to discuss that later <laughs> right. but definitely i'd be very surprised if joss whedon wasn't watching and taking notes of course of course and also that everybody's set in a high school yeah. Um, so the dynamics, of course, would bleed into some of Joss Whedon's stuff. And a lot of them, despite everybody being nearly 30, I think somebody <laughs> involved is 31 at the time of filming. Um, uh, Rachel True, uh, who is Rochelle, True, is yeah. 30 or 31. You know, she is, it's yeah. certainly she might is turn 30. 31 between filming and premiere, I'm not sure. Yeah. Poor Rachel True. We'll talk about her later <laughs> as well because she needs at least 10 minutes on her. Casually levitating a pencil is my note yes, here. Yes, very Like it nice. ain't no thing. And then Nancy's... Well, she's caught by Greasy Campbell. That's uh, Neve Campbell where they're like, how do we make her ugly? We don't wash her hair. Yeah. We put a copious amount of coconut oil in there. Um, and of the, of the leads, she must have been the most famous at the time, I think. Um, she was only just out of Party of Five. She right. wasn't actually big, big Hollywood oh, okay. at this point. Um, in fact, roughly sort of 97, 96, 97 was her big break. And I think this was her first film, yeah. um, like feature length. Right. But just, don't I've, quote me on it. Well, I mean, we goodness me. I mean, I've just, I've just said that without any kind of backup. <laughs> um, uh, P.S. This school has nuns. 
<laughs> well, yes, the um, it's another one of the gothic tropes. Trope oh, yes. was the word I was looking for earlier. Right, is okay. the religious orders being which are which are all over yeah gothic fiction. Yeah. From way back, yeah, and gothic so. architecture. Well, yes, of course, <laughs> yeah. But again, we we see this all the time. So, like when we get the shot of the bitches of Eastwick, yes, uh, they're standing underneath the enormous Sacred Heart, very gaudy mural on the wall. Oh yes, yes. Because it is all of this stuff that that they are in opposition to. Um, Nancy's face is just like an angry husky for the first <laughs> like twenty minutes we see her. When when she sort of notices the the pencil levitating, her interest interest does seem to be coded as sort of slightly feral sexual kind of thing. Wow. She looks very. Um... <laughs> I didn't get that, but I like that you got that. I got massively threatened, where she's like, "I'm the magic one." Yeah. <laughs> and she's looking at her like, "Who the hell are you?" You know. And it's more of a predatory, "I will eat you," than a sexual to me. Fair enough. But you, yeah. Why I not? I possibly have issues. <laughs> Nancy related issues actually (laughs) and then we meet that's enough Chris which is what I will call him that's enough Chris I think I think Chris is an interesting character (laughs) Um, but his character arc is odd and I don't think it's a a bad performance it's uh, Skeet Ulrich I think is the actor's name it is Skeet Ulrich, good memory yes Um, and I don't think he's doing anything wrong I just think he's if you examine the film's not really about him, uh, so he doesn't really matter. But if you examine sort of his plot and his character arc, he has a very bad couple of weeks, actually. He has a terrible time. <laughs> yeah, but he is an absolute bum-bum. Yeah. Yeah. But then he's sort of weirdly... <laughs> there's, there are a few scenes later on with him, for me, where he appears sort of quite pathetic, as in... In the pathos sense, okay. for me anyway, where he's sort of standing outside trying to talk to Sarah and just saying, like, I don't I don't know what's going on. I, I don't understand what's happening. But then, which almost seemed to paint him slightly more sympathetically, but then they throw it away, or he throws of it course, away. Of course, yeah, we'll talk about that later on. Absolutely. Yes, the bitches of Eastwick is what uh, the girls are called by, you can leave it now, Chris. I really dislike Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. I think he is... A nasty depiction of male, but that a nasty depiction of male that does exist. And I think it's the classic thing in a teenage cult film, if you like, where a boy gets involved and uh, everything hits every fan. So, you know, but again, even if there was no witchcraft involved, this is the classic thing of we like the same guy or we we are territorial about this particular bloke. And again, it all becomes more apparent later, but the fact that also he's a massive ignoramus is, yeah. is just so much worse and so believable, but it still means that I hate Chris. <laughs> the end. Fair enough. But yes, this is one of the elements from a more conventional teen movie. Yes. If you'd like. He's yes. a character that wouldn't be out of place, really, in 10 Things I Hate About You or... Um, Clueless or Clueless any of those. Clueless or any yeah, of yeah. those, yes. Yeah. He's not funny enough to be in Clueless, but anyway. In... As, a, as a character type, though, as in the sort of obnoxious jock that somebody yeah. falls for against their better judgment. And that will lie about sleeping with you. Yeah. We also find out here that Nancy is a slut and that uh, the trio are witches. It's his words. Yes. It's Chris's words. And again, Sarah being the original Bella of Twilight fame. Uh, imagine how much time we would save if we didn't need to move our mouths when we spoke. 
It would be incredible. She really is just, her mouth is just a line for a lot of the scenes in the beginning. And I think, again, it's, she's actually a really good actress. Um, Robin Tunney is actually a really good actress. So these subtle things like she is being shy. She only smiles when she quite likes the guy. Again, it makes her a more believable teenager despite being 28. Um, (laughs) Was she 28? I can't remember, but yeah, something around that age. But then we get the cover of How Soon Is Now by Love Spit Love, and that's the cover from what? Oh, Love Spit Love is the most 1996 Isn't it? band. Like, of course they're called Love Spit Love. Of course they are. Yeah. And as Ben rightly pointed out, Charmed began in 1997, and director of the craft, Andrew Fleming, actually um, attempted to take them to court for using the exact same cover as their theme, because they could have chosen any cover or any version of How Soon Is Now, but they deliberately picked the same one. I will also have you know that in the very early um, Charmed episodes, it opens on a very blue sky in exactly the same way as the film. In So much so that I wrote down in the very beginning, the craft or Charmed, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, what you doing? But yeah, the fact that it was flagged up to him and he actually attempted to take into court and threatened... And it was absolutely fine. They were like, well, you don't own this and you can't do nothing. And it's yeah, true. They would have, if they licensed it properly. Exactly. Yeah, it's not yeah. like it was... Um, Charmed, it's interesting that it, that's the only parallel between the two, though, given everything. That and the Power of Three stuff that they tried to take on, but really But it's also not... that's not original to no. the film, right? They had a Wiccan consultant on the film. On the craft. On the craft, yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, whose job it was to make sure that... <laughs> that they were adhe- adhering to Wiccan faith as much as possible without actually invoking a spirit. Um, so yes, so they hired a a technical consultant, which she was credited as Pat Devin, mm-hmm. who was a possibly still is a, a Wiccan and was on set and on team to make sure that everything was sort of accurate as these things go. But one of the things that she said was that they didn't want to be invoking a real deity because that was irresponsible yes they and they that. didn't want teenagers to copy that and no. invoke a load of deities into their own living room yeah. yeah as well as it being sort of slightly disrespectful yeah <laughs> to a to a what is a real faith yes absolutely but we'll come on to that later um first of all nancy's wet look pvc coat which is <laughs> properly to die for and I don't think we'll ever go out of fashion. That thing looks incredible all the time. Um, Rochelle, as you say, played by Rachel True. And Bonnie is the name of Neve Campbell's character. Indeed. They speak for Nancy, and that's important. Again, it's Nancy characterised as this feral creature, as you say, because it's like, Nancy's sorry she did things. And Nancy's like, she doesn't look very sorry. (laughs) She looks like she's going to eat part of your throat. But it's properly great. And I mean, to describe someone as he spreads disease, Nancy is the embodiment to me of the acting out crucible style witches as in the play the crucible right where you would have um people acting out being like yeah all right i am a witch screw you what are you gonna do about it? i slept with your husband you know all this stuff and they get burnt or they get dunked or they get something horrible happen but actually it's this kind of i'm gonna get got whatever the weather yeah which is you know the world's against me i'm gonna get got whatever i'm already a spooky bitch let's like properly ride this wave <laughs> you know massive respect for that but he spreads disease talking about chris and saying, I, I speak from personal experience. So yeah. we know that the reason he's calling Nancy a slut is because they banged this one time at least. Indeed. Interesting teenage moment here, just saying. Something that is tragically known 
or probably known to a lot of us who grew up in the 90s as teenagers and before, but I'm specifically speaking from experience, the idea of seeing somebody with scars from self-harm attempts or from cries for help or from horrible moments where they have self-harmed. And it's Bonnie that comments that um, Sarah has tried to slit her wrists the right way. Yeah, and the, the right non-movie way. way. <laughs> the non-movie way, absolutely. Well, it's um, along the river, not across the stream was Indeed. the rule that we were taught um by other suicidal people yes Yes, that's dark um um, but again it's because it's something that teenagers uh, certainly of my age group in that time would talk about very openly as a bonding as a bonding thing that of course you have scars because you're one of us we get to go to my shop my future shop (laughs) and there's future me pleasuring a candle good work uh sorry blessing it my mistake (laughs) uh describe (laughs) sorry makes me laugh I already have a diary. Well, no, not like this you don't, because this one you write your spells and power thoughts. Yeah. Nothing like a diary. Uh, Completely unlike a diary. Tis a grimoire. Uh, It's an incredibly epic waste of candles. And where is she from? She has the uh, transatlantic traditional mystic accent. Yes, yes, I've the strong Deanna Troy (laughs) vibes from her for me. Yes, absolutely. Um, The only time we actually see or hear... Uh, the title of the film is the title of the book that she Yes, exactly. Her. She sells the book of the film, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, it's the, it's apparently the book on candle magic, but I beg to differ. I think that is um, an ulterior motive from Diana Troy of the past saying, you're going to need this. Yes. This is for you specifically. Don't give it to these horrible cows. Anything more on the shop? Just that it's enormous. Um, it is huge. I don't know how she, I don't know how she makes the rent. rent. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, she is a witch. So, you know. It might not even be there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, In my dream, you were dead. So. Oh, yes. Snakeagram turns up again. Our friend Johnny Snakes turns up. (laughs) He had a name. I can't remember what it was. They say it, but it's, I don't know. It's probably not Johnny Snakes, is it? I hope so. This is basically the scene from Snow White, where she runs from the huntsman, except this time she's like running around between homeless people and sex workers late at night in a rough part of town. And then, of course, because he's playing with traffic, um, Snakeagram gets hit, right? Yes. They believe they've done it, and it's like one of the times in the film where sometimes they are just teenagers. So sometimes their characters are allowed to do the things that they would do. So like running from the scene and laughing in shock and screaming about, did you see what happened? Taking responsibility for that as well. It's all very... um, very teen. It's very teen, which they go very, they go quite young, but not in a. I don't mean that negatively. No, exactly, no. That's um, why I say they are actually allowed to be teenagers. But it's also interesting as well that it's the first thing that they claim credit for. Yeah. Magically. Yeah. And perhaps. I mean, she did a good glare. Yes, but also they ran out into traffic, and they he did. was clutching a snake. clutching a snake and sort of muttering to himself. Uh, so, it, it, at this point, anyway, it leaves the power of the four of them. A little ambiguous. Yes. We are introduced to the concept of Manon, which, as we've mentioned, is the suggested deity that was created specifically for the film um, so that nobody could invoke a real, actual, factual deity, hopefully. Manon is a great word. Uh, We'll come to why it was a tricky word to use uh, later. But again, this is on the (laughs) advice of their Wiccan advisor, their technical advisor. The idea being that man invented God, and that Manon is older than that. Yes. You know, what was if, it if, if, if God and the devil are playing cricket or something. Yeah, then he's the cricket They're playing cricket in friend. the stadium. Yes, there wouldn't be cricket because it, it's a teen film from the 90s in America. But the, the metaphor stands that, yes, older than God and bigger than God. Yes. 
I have written in quote marks flooded because for some reason Sarah when she is trying to do her teenage her best teenage impression well it's a full-on teen it's an impression of a teenager in America basically doing that kind of accent that is very specific any of my American friends actually listening will be like it's just this place Um, and it could (laughs) well be a particular part of um, LA actually that I'm thinking of California specifically Um, but yeah, it's an interesting moment where it's a teenager telling a story. So she does the kind of flooded, as in like get, waiting for everybody else to go, oh my God, you know. Yes. <laughs> Nancy does an incredible, intense evangelical panting throughout. Every time she's talking about Manon, and yeah. just gets so excited. And it's quite incredible to watch. She's so engaging. Manon is very definitely a male figure as well when when Nancy's talking about him always using masculine pronouns when talking about Manon yes definitely Um, I really liked Sarah saying nothing makes everything all better again you know she's got a dead mum and she has this kind of foot in reality and I think it's her looking at Nancy going are you cockabonkers you might be crazy and then just doing a little check in to say nothing makes everything fine you know you know like a kind of meaningful look and then off she goes uh, to see that little idiot. Yes, <laughs> your favourite character, Chris. My favourite character, that's enough now, Chris. Their interaction should be sweet. And it is nearly sweet. I think it's nearly sweet, the one that they have. Well, this is what I mean when I say that he's not... At times he doesn't feel entirely beyond redemption and you can sort of see... Yeah. You can sort of see the appeal. Yeah, he's charming. Yeah. Next day, oh wow, so weird, Chris lied, who knew, right? Yeah. And we, we get that this, this section of the film is about their reasons for turning to witchcraft, right? Yeah. And I really enjoy it. I like the idea that they are connected in their various traumas and their various strange happenings that mean that they would turn to something like Manon or like religion or like any of that stuff. I like as well that they deliberately did not choose Catholicism to turn to. You know, <laughs> yes. they needed something alternative because clearly all of them are Catholic schoolgirls and it hasn't helped so far. So they all yeah. come from these difficult situations. And we meet clearly 35-year-old white girl bully. Um, <laughs> yes, this bully played by Christine Taylor that, again, many people in our age group will know from things like Zoolander and from Dodgeball oh. and from a lot of that era comedy stuff. But she's awful and she's very kind of well cast because she looks weirdly a racial stereotype of a racist. Yes. Um, she does use a pretty horrendous word. She talks about pubic hair being in her brush. Yeah, it's really not subtle, is it? No, this scene? It's I mean, nasty. it's not supposed to be. I'm not, it's not a good But not she's a criticism. also the only black girl there. Yeah. In the changing rooms. It's interesting as well. Rachel True, that plays yes. Rochelle, was supposed to be a character with an eating disorder, but as soon as they cast a black girl, they decided to make the whole thing about racism. And at the time, she mentioned feeling quite uncomfortable with that, that they'd made changes based on it. But older, she felt like it was a really important thing to be a part of, which was quite interesting. She had a kind of terrible time with the film, in fairness to her. Uh, she was told not to get involved with Feruza Balk, who was incredibly sensational and kind of this larger-than-life rebellious character in real life. Obviously, look at her. And she was told not to get involved with her because they said if a person of colour did the things that Feruza Bulk was doing, she would probably lose her career. Yeah. Whereas... Feruza has that white privilege. That crazy advantage. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Also, she was the only one of the main four girls not invited to 
the MTV Awards uh, after the film. Yeah. Just strangely left out. In fact, it was another cast member that had to call up all the press releases to say, are you going to interview Rachel True, who was also in the lead roles? Just such a widely different time, like broadly yeah. different time. But it's also... 25 years ago this year. Oof. Sorry to make you feel old. Yeah, thanks so much for that. <laughs> but also, like, you know, it was unusual to have a person of colour in a lead, yeah. as in in a lead of four girls. Especially without making it about a token gesture. It wasn't a token gesture. They wrote it into a be a part of the story. Yeah. And it could have been it could have been so much worse thinking about it. Like I know that they changed her plot line to make to make it about racism. Yeah. But, but her her blackness is never really fetishized or nope. made anything of in their group. In their group, not at all. They don't even joke about it. They are outraged that she is being treated poorly. Yeah. But it's never actually mentioned that she why? Specifically. No, exactly. I mean, or they're all, of course, different. they're all outcasts to an extent yeah. for various reasons, and I suppose that brings them together. Yeah, exactly. We also see Bonnie, Neve Campbell, with a really harrowing and unnecessary needle stabbing scene, but it is to show that she's willing to do anything to get perfect skin. She's the victim of a lot of heavy burns, and her mother is with her, holding her hand through mm. some pretty nasty surgery. I don't know, it has that real feel of flatliners. Ah. It's that kind of tech, right? Yeah. And now yeah. you've said it, putting the two together. No, it's a good point. And I think it's a well-done scene. It does stand out because it, it's... Yeah, it's, it's well-performed by Neve Campbell. Yeah. And and it, it sells it sells her discomfort. Because these are... Our, what we're seeing here, of course, is each of our protagonists, it gives us their reasons for turning to magic and because it is done well it sells her strong desire her struggle yeah yeah Yeah. in a way that without that it might not work so well for me anyway i see that i'm more convinced by her rocking back and forth saying make me beautiful a bit later Uh, but i see what you mean take my scars yeah take my scars all that um yeah horrendous anyway Oh, yeah. So uh, Nancy's drunk mum is an incredible bit of acting and I love yeah. her. So Nancy's mum is an unsung hero of this film. She's also terrible. Her stepdad is a hot mess. She just has an incredible nightmare background and lies down in a drip. Yeah, she's literally torturing herself with that. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, that is that is a form of torture. Yeah. And we see this one last as well. This is the, yes. the last one that we get. And the worst one. Yes. Yeah. We then go on a road trip to have an iconic moment. We Mm. are the weirdos, mister, is an important moment for all of us with iconic looks from everyone. And the shades have been in fashion for a long time now. They're not going anywhere. There's kind of uh, looks like you've come fresh from an online poker game kind of thing. And then we've got to be quite small so you can look over them at people. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Then we have a scene that I actually really like. So this is your Gerald Gardner style initiation kissing. It's important. It's got just the nicest lighting, this scene. Mm. It feels like a teenage memory. It feels like something that is not really connected to how magic is very often perceived, but it is closer to what magic feels like when you're practicing it, right? Right. Um, Unless you're doing a lot of shadow work, but if you're doing manifestation stuff or you're doing a lot of, um, and again, initiation work, but particularly not working in the shadow side when you are a very love and light practitioner or when you're very very into the lighter side of wiccan a beautiful sunny day and charging everything with solar energy and kissing each other is really wiccan 
it's really sweet. Like, it's a really yeah. nice experience for them. It's the candle wax on the carpet level of witchcraft that you would find from reading Ms. Magazine and having a sleepover back in my day. Well, I'm pleased to hear you say that because I have never been a teenage girl. But it feels very natural and it feels like a thing that would could could and would happen. Yeah. It could would and would happen and did. <laughs> could, would and did. Of course, we, we whack in a blessed bee. Of course. That's important. So mote it be, but it is blessed be in this case. Nancy is respectful of everybody else in this circle time, which is an unexpected plot point for her, or an unexpected character point for her, rather. But then the cheeky, um, all the power of man on down it moment is a bit... Yes. (laughs) It's much more her. But actually, she even has empathy in her face when Sarah has to bring bloody Chris into the situation. (laughs) Saying, like, I have a crush on a loser. Yeah. And even Nancy is like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. Um, no, and again, all the power of Manon I want. But then it is, of course, she is ribbed for that, if you'd like. I think, I think is it Sarah who says, like, is that, is is that, that all? all? Yeah. You know, and, and does seem to take that in good grace. You yeah, know, she it does, is, she not, laughs. Yes. Um, and then magical butterflies that are not that terribly CGI, they're quite beautiful. Quite nicely done. Is and it? then the magic starts working and they're back to being kids again. So that is their symbol. They're like, oh, it's Manon. And Nancy hasn't quite gone all out Nancy crazy yet. No. Nope. So she's still in this nice place of wonder. And it's a really, it's just a really nice teenage memory moment. She has a really sweet grid to the bus driver as well when they get off. And after she says, we are the weirdos, mister. Do you think that's sweet? And then she does like a crazy, but it is like a, it, it's a crazy grin, but it's a, like later on when she goes off the deep end, she, oh, she, she grins a lot. Smile, and, yes. But it's not one of them. It is a it is a smile with the eyes as well, kind of thing. Yeah, like a, um, I know we're frightening, but exactly. Yeah, well, it's kids working with their power, right? Yeah. And I remember being that way, going like, what what buttons can I put? Oh, all the buttons. All right. <laughs> the variations on this Catholic school uniform shows their characters beautifully. Nancy is already jealous that Sarah's spell is beginning to work. In general, Nancy. And again, this is why I've written it. The magic starts working and they're back to being kids. So Sarah's like, I think he's looking at me. I think he likes me. She starts torturing him in the way that, of course, a teenage girl does when she gets her way with a guy in that situation, In these, particularly in these films. And yeah, Nancy, instead of being excited like the others are, is just jealous and sulky and avoiding. Yeah. You say that they, she tortures Chris by making <laughs> him carry everybody's books. But uh, just a, a quick note on that, that, that of course happens when they're in chapel for some kind of religious mass. It's service. Mass. It's mass. Yeah. It's the ever-present religious background yes. that never, well not never, but that is that often is there, mm-hmm. is lurking there for you. It's another bit of Christianity, but not just Christianity. It's another bit of high ritual Christianity, which acts in opposition to the no, it's not a black mass because they're not Satanists, but it, it's a, a counterpoint to the religious ceremony that they've just performed in yeah. the previous scene. It means that they understand ceremony, they know that it's important to do it with respect and do yeah. it right as well, but also they are witches in the church, It's a, yeah. uh, and they are performing magic in that church because the spell is working. Yes. So it is a, a massive kick um, that they would get from that specifically. Should I carry on? Please. I love the witch slumber party, right? So some of it feels really improvised and I actually believe in their friendship. Like, even though we know that Rachel True was told to avoid uh, (laughs) Farusa Bolt like the plague. It's it's a testament to their acting ability as well, right? Yeah, but I have a suspicion... It's never just so simple as that, like, oh, they were were all friends, so they all look like friends. Yeah, but I do. I have a suspicion that they enjoyed each other 
even as a kind of spectacle, I feel like that was a comfortable moment. So the light as a feather, stiff as a board thing, I was going to put it to the crowd and say, like, is there anyone that tried that that doesn't read tarot cards now? That just out of interest. I, <laughs> I feel like it's a real staple of witchy childhood and even like gothy childhood to... Um, to try it and actually it turned out you tried it as well, well yeah i did you do read cards so. well, yes but i didn't have a, a gothy witchy childhood but i certainly remember a party you know a sleepover style party game where you lift somebody by using two fingers on each hand each of you and yes each of you go around a person and you can lift them up by just using two yeah. fingers which I, I remember doing and does feel magic i mean without any kind of sort of occult ceremonial overtones to it it's not magic with a k but no. it does feel magic it does feel odd to be able to lift somebody <laughs> and they have to hold themselves stiff otherwise it doesn't work yes yeah and it's, a, it's a lovely moment you know she's on a board by the way uh, if you're wondering how the magic happens oh yes uh, she's on a board and raised bless them they put her in loose fitting clothing so you can see that she's on a board <laughs> yeah. but at the time it was a really nice and also moment. i also have to stick up for it here it doesn't look bad at all i think no, it, they left it, her hair down it definitely yeah. worked you know i know how they did it but that doesn't matter she also uh, improvised the line you've got to try this right that was just <laughs> <laughs> that was just uh, rachel true great name by the way rachel true just saying I really enjoy the mum interrupting and saying, are you girls getting high? Yes. Because it's just such an all-American teen thing. And it's a gag as well. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a genuine joke. Yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're watching Bewitched. The, yeah. Uh, the well-known staple of all teenage slumber parties. <laughs> I love Bewitched, but yeah, again, I have issues. Next scene. Iconic Nancy realness, right? Braless, slip back hair. Black strappy top under a white top, heavy lip, heavy eye, antichrist earrings, and slow mo. <laughs> yeah. Like nothing will be more iconic than that look to me. I I think about it sometimes when I'm not thinking about anything. You know, um, <laughs> it just pops into your head. It does unbidden. just pop into my head, and I think, good gracious, I need to immediately buy a candle. You know, yeah. Think about what I've done. Buy a candle. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, again, I've skipped forward a little bit, I think. Do you have anything else on there? Well, it's just, it's around about this point that we find out that Sarah's mother died when she was born, I think, because that's chronologically next in my You're notes. You're dead right. Which, it's it's unfolding more of her properly tragic backstory, if you'd like, which I think, given the context of her wish or her yeah. ask from, from Manon in, in the previous big scene, where it, it, I think it makes it more notable that... It is not her who asks for all the power of Manon, if you'd like. She just wants a boy to like her. Yeah, but and again, it's, it's, it's the, the realism. Point. Yeah. It's the realism of saying, like, this stuff cannot make everything all right. Exactly. But it can make a boy like me, and that's quite fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I mean, it's in there from the beginning. It's in there from when we meet her. Like, nothing about Sarah when we meet her suggests that she's looking for a way to no. magical is better. No, exactly. And then we have the Manon take my scars moment, which mm. is... Um, a very tender Nancy putting a poultice onto um, the burn scars of Bonnie while she rocks backwards and forwards in front of a fire. It is, again, it's a really iconic moment in the film. It feels like one of those memory moments, those points that my brain goes back to. But actually, it's again Nancy being very tender, very understanding. She yep. sees tragedy because she's still with us at this yes, point. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a point in the film where she changes and we haven't reached that yet. I did... 
when before we recorded this even i did put out a call on twitter for scholarship on the craft i was looking for people who'd written about it and i got a, a wonderful response for which you know i thank you again but uh, one of the things that uh that somebody did point me towards was uh, a skin for dancing in by tanya kaczynski which is um subtitled possession witchcraft and voodoo on film and does have a small section wow. on the craft and some other things i'm sure it will come up again because mm. there's plenty of other things referenced but in this at this moment uh, she points out or she equates bonnie's scar tissue magic wish with nimue in uh, in merlin uh, as the sort of archetype of the ugly witch who uses magic to make herself beautiful. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. I hadn't spotted myself, that's why I credit that one. So interesting, yeah. yeah. But, but her um, wish is basically, it's not a bad one. It's sincere, it's, it is, it does turn her a little bit vain. Well, it's supposed to be the um, you are beautiful all along message as well, right? Yeah. Where she could have done all that stuff and just had scars. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they weren't on her face. No. They weren't anywhere visible anyway but it was a confidence thing it's yeah. an attitude thing and actually we've seen from when when their magic starts working almost all of it is an illusion this yes. is why we have that scene with the glamour stuff that we'll talk about mm. because it's meant to be that all of it is a trick yeah um even though it's a trick that's coming from a higher power therefore she could probably look in a mirror and still have her scars down her back and it wouldn't matter because she can't see them anyway she just knows they're there incredible punishment uh, for the racist by the way so our 35-year-old racist is back. <laughs> this graphic and horrible bolding when she takes her swim cap off is, again, because we, we've already witnessed Sarah's magic start to work, so now we're looking at Rochelle's. And I don't know, it's, it's very dark because it starts as such a kind of R.L. Stein Goosebumps-style punishment where it's like, <laughs> and she lost her hair. Yeah, yeah. But actually yeah. it's more like, oh, goodness. <laughs> and it's also... Again, it's another ramping up of, of their magic powers, if you'd like. So I, I know you've got the butterflies and things. But what I mean is in terms of sort of real world consequences, we start with the snake vagrant yeah. meeting a, a grizzly end, which is says possibly then, possibly not. But then you have Chris starts to pay more attention to Sarah, which does appear to be yeah, directly extremely unlikely, yes. but it's not supernatural or quite so graphic. There's something different. There's something more extreme in this one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's physical harm, or it's as close to physical harm. But again, so far we've been shown that Rochelle is a very kind and hard-done-by person, yeah. and yet she knows that that girl is bolding and does her perfect dive anyway. Yeah. And it's such a, oh, goodness, are you feeling and experiencing pain? Bye. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I all know. So much so that the swim teacher looks at them like, ah, oh, uh -huh. yeah. uh, what? I will say... We then look at Bonnie getting her wish granted, where this surgery seems to have had miracle results. Mm -hmm. uh, again, is that the spell? Actually, thinking about it, all of these could be not magic. Because oh, yeah. we already know, we found out earlier that um, the bully bleaches her hair very heavily. They made reference to that. And actually, one of the things, if you overbleach your hair, is that it comes out in clumps. That's a very good point. Yeah. So yeah. then we have the maybe the surgery magically worked. Yeah. It didn't. But maybe it did, yeah. and then we have this like PVA. Yeah, yeah. The, the surgeon PVA says, glue. "I've never seen such good results." Yeah. Not crucially, not this is these this results is are just not possible from yeah. these. Are, I've know. never seen such good results, yeah. but like uh, it's such a peelable texture that it is like PVA glue on the back of your hand. I love, like, I love PVA glue on the back so of my hand. So satisfying. Yeah. And then 
Hot Bonnie turns up in knee highs to school the next day and a square neck number with a nude beige lip that is like properly 90s to die for. It Honestly, uh, it's properly good. Um, also, again, back to being teenagers. They can't bloody help it. So Hot Bonnie is also tardy, as the Americans would say. Indeed. But Sarah's saying, well, didn't uh, Nancy get her wish? Or, you know, what what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Rochelle's saying... I think she didn't want to be white trash or something. And I said, look, you're white, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to deal with it. And, you know, the camera pans and it fades, the conversation fades out while she's doing some meaningful looks. But it just really made me laugh that, like, that's something that has to be explained. Yeah. But that it's worded like that is very teenage. And we have Hank. Yes. Now, well, because you talked a minute ago about coincidences and plausibility and yeah. things like that, because one of my things is how likely is it that a man like uh, Hank would be insured for 175 grand? And I would have said it is. it feels extremely unlikely. True. But... But he worked for a company exactly. and it's his pension coming back. It's yeah. not it's not his it, like it was pension and insurance. Insurance, yeah, yeah. It was but it was something he was enrolled in as part of his work. Exactly. Probably. But I just wondered whether we were accepting that as yeah, he was he had a big life insurance policy, or whether this is man on intervention, if you'd like, whether this yes. is part of the magic. Yeah, good point. I mean, it um, doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't signify. It's just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. So after kind of sexually assaulting or attempting to sexually assault his own stepdaughter, Hank threatens to strike Nancy's mother, and they sort of have an altercation that results in in Hank dying of a heart attack. But basically, they then find out that they are entitled to this hundred seventy five thousand dollars based yeah. on his claim. Which but yeah, is, sorry, not only does um, he die of a heart attack, but it it appears that Nancy's anger sort of triggers an electrical Carrie style, storm or something. Yeah, Carrie-style yes. electrical faults. So $175,000 is £290,500 in today's money. That would do, wouldn't it? It's pretty wild, that'll do. Their reaction is so perfect. Their reaction is so perfect that I'm not sure how scripted it was. You know, I'm not sure how close to a script it was when they find out that they've inherited this money. (laughs) And Nancy's alcoholic mother goes from this kind of weeping widow, not understanding what's really happening, to just scream laughing with her mad daughter. You know, (laughs) it's such a good moment. And I think they might both be smoking. You know, they're so, so well cast. And, you know, the next scene is we see that they've bought a high rise flat. They live in the high life, literally. Sarah has the best beret I've seen in ages. We've got round shades, a beret, and a pinstripe black dress jacket. I mean, it's properly... Like, she's going up in the world and she's dressing more sass, right? Yeah. She's dressing up... The, the, short, the skirts are shorter, all that. Here's a shocker. <laughs> you know what happens when I get a load of money, but it turns... Like, I've been characterised as white trash, and uh, the only thing that's changed is that I'm rich now. Is there a thing that you've always wanted to have, but you could never afford? Oh, there is that, but it turns out I'm still an alcoholic. Ah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> the thing that you've always wanted to have, but you can never afford, turns out is booze. Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's also a jukebox that only plays Connie, Connie Francis, yeah. which is just beautiful. And she becomes like the mum from Mean Girls, Amy Poehler, in uh, Mean Girls, being like, you guys want any drinks? You know, yeah. like, kind of <laughs> manically trying to be involved and getting nowhere. 
Nancy. I'm writing about the clothes again. Nancy is in a silk mandarin collar throughout all of this, uh. and it is so good. And I do think it's real silk from the way it sits on her. And that is, again, she's gone for goth clothes, but she's gone for goth clothes, now she's got cash. Yeah, and it makes sense that she would... She will have drawn the same conclusion about the efficacy of Manon worship yeah. as we have. Yeah. And so has doubled down on the witch aesthetic in her dress, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing that struck me is that just before Hank dies, it seems like mistreatment of her mother is the thing that really pushes Nancy's buttons. You yeah. know, that really seems to rile her up. But then they are all quite cruel to it, the admittedly drunken sort of Connie yes. Francis bore. That um, that is that now inhabits this very large, very stark apartment. But then I suppose the other thing is that magicking your hair different colours is much more fun than talking about stupid Cupid and other hits. Yes. So then you know I wish I could glamour like that. It's more teenage magic, right? Yeah. Um, it does remind me of, I don't know, like a, especially when she just changes the colour of her eyes first, and they're all a bit like boo. <laughs> and then to go from brown to blonde of course you can do that, tis a wig and Nancy makes the joke of asking for a smaller ass as if that's possible um, it's very cute I like that scene a lot, it's a, another one that sort of gets memed I think or would get memed if it came out now well it's Teenage Girls again isn't it yeah. feels like a very relatable thing. yeah, yeah yeah totally Chris is here yeah see here is where I've made the note that he's an oddly pathetic figure as in it's not that he's particularly noble he just does a good job of appearing to not know what on earth is happening for him yeah. or to him and i know you still hate him i just think that it's yeah I, d I just think he's awful just think it's a point to sort of check in on him and his journey in the film his character arc is that he doesn't he doesn't know what the hell is going on for him yeah or what to do about it <laughs> we're back in my shop and how did those candles that are very high up get lit <laughs> Oh, well. uh, I know, but yeah. we're not there yet. Nope. So she makes the point again, possibly speaking the words of the technical advisor, that true magic is both good and bad at once. And it also has this rule of whatever you send out, you get back times three. Now, having worked in an occult shop, mm -hmm. this one is the one that gets quoted to be most, even by tiny little witches who have, haven't actually seen the film and look at me like a wild lady when I do too many hand gestures saying how have you not seen this what <laughs> who are you and why is there a fetus in this shop <laughs> and yeah if you listen to this and you haven't seen the craft <laughs> we love you anyway uh, we love you anyway but do, but you know this is a podcast isn't live you can stop stop <laughs> stop the podcast now and go and watch the go and watch the craft and come back to us afterwards you will thank us for it yeah um i will say as well uh whatever you give out you get back times three is painfully similar to the power of three that's quoted forever in uh, Charmed. I know they got it from different sources, but just saying. And also, like, it's quite a nice rule to live by, actually. It does mix several different witchcraft traditions to get to that place, but it is quite a nice idea to I was going to ask, do we know where it, where it comes from? It's a super Wiccan idea. There's lots of different variations of getting consequences to your actions, so lots of things about making sure that you have the elements balanced or the things that are unbalanced will come and bite you. In hoodoo tradition, there's the idea of paying a price, but it's absolutely not the same as the back to you times three thing. Right. You know, it's very much like there is a trade-off, but it will come to you in time. The Wiccan one, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of talk of the three faces of 
Wicker, or if you like, the Maiden Mother and Crone sure. stages. Sure, that's also, of course, in, in three is a very important number in Christianity as well. Yes, yes, yes. Um, um, but I feel like that's specifically one that is put in there by our technical assistant to discourage <laughs> young teenagers from t- from taking on Manon esque right yes. deities in their yes. own time. Yes, well, that makes sense. <laughs> Nice. I've made a note here about how somebody had suggested that Nancy is Dr. Frankenfurter's daughter from Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Yes, Show. I can see that. Absolutely. Actually, truly yes. very believable. It's a funny thing here because their elements are very strange. So they're off to do some magic. They've given Nancy air. Oh, well, ah. I read an interview with the the writer who, oh. who says he says that they all have elements and his reading... Of, and admittedly, he's only the writer. Writers don't know anything. And <laughs> once they, you know, they write a script and it goes off to the studio and it becomes a different thing, right? And yeah. their opinions are not worth anything once they've written the thing. However, his opinion was that Sarah represented Earth. Very much so. Should have done, yes. He said, said Bonnie is uh, the wind. She should be air. Yes, uh, that's true. Yeah. Rochelle is water. Dead and right. I think that was because she was a diver. And of course, Nancy is fire. Yes. That was his reading of... And that's exactly as it should be. As in, I actually wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) But weirdly, when they're presenting, I wonder if it's just a directorial moment that kind of went awry. I had this theory that somebody was very afraid of snakes because they give Nancy the snake, but they say Uh, that represents air. Um, And it doesn't. And in fact, you know, in a lot of cultures, snake is earth. And in a couple right. of others, the serpent is fire. So right. it's literally yes. the one that's nothing to do with <laughs> either. You can even have a water snake, but there are no snakes in the air. No. Good job, too. <laughs> um, yes, we can all be thankful for that. We had Bonnie as a butterfly, I, which is fine. It's also, I suppose, because um, there is a non-witchcraft symbolic way in which, obviously, you give Nancy the snake. She's like the most dangerous one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Unpredictable, sexy. Absolutely. And I wonder if that was that sort of that overrode the symbolic... I'm just speculating. No, totally, but then it gets weirder. So, yeah, fair mm. enough, Bonnie, we're going to go butterfly. That's air. Yep. Sarah is earth. What animal represents earth best to you? It's a budgie. It's a budgie. <laughs> it's a budgie. Now, flying bird that's the colour of water... That's right. ...is uh, your symbol for earth. So something went wrong. I feel like they couldn't get a prop. There was something happening. Um, well, they did have some difficulty filming this scene, I believe, because the tide came in too quickly or something oh no better than that much better than that so this scene there is the technical advisor was like oops i may have done a poopy um is that a, is that a quote oh that's official witch speak actually. <laughs> yeah oh, yes. wow. yeah she was using the sacred tongue no she um she was like i wonder if we've made a bit of a mistake calling this character manon because it's de- incredibly close to menanon or menanin that is a god of water. So every single time that Nancy shouted those rites, a massive wave would come up and blow all the candles out and uh, like wash all the candles out and they'd have to start all over again. And it happened so many times it was starting to freak the cast and crew out. So they had to film it in little sections and things so that it wasn't... <laughs> which is amazing, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and a storm, like a big storm gathered above them as well at one point. So who knows what they were actually tampering with. I think with. they had power failures at some point. They had a they? big power failure at the end and all of the lights went out. I can't imagine how chilling that must have been when if you've ever created a ritual space even if it's something like you've done yoga in the morning and you feel a bit tingly all the way through to like actually being part of a circle 
there is something you are creating there and even if you know you are playing a role if you've been on stage ever in your life and you've held a space like that for your character it's gonna feel weird you're gonna feel like you're in an altered state so you couple that with like the actual elements coming for yeah. you when you've done a spell that's gonna stay with you well, making a film is a magical. Yeah, of course. Uh, Kenneth Anger, right, is the example of a, a magical practitioner who is a filmmaker and views the making of the film mm-hmm. as a ri- magic ritual act. So it's yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, um, it's interesting as well that they only point as above. They never do the so below. So there's no grounding practice, uh-huh. um, which is interesting. So the idea of the as above, so below is not only to work on yourself inner so that you get results outer in a magical practice way and vice versa, but also this idea that you are um, magic is only true if it's grounded in reality, if it's grounded sure. in the earth, or, but, but not specifically the earth. If it's grounded on your earthly plane, then you can play around as much as you like with the above as long as they balance each other out. But the fact that they're all pointing up is very interesting. Yes, because um, I think Nancy. they do as well. They do grounded in the first... They do. In the sort of woodland clearing one. They do. Which does feel much more... Wholesome and, and balanced. Grounded and, yeah. as well, right? And um, yeah, 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 totally. Um, but despite everybody wearing such incredible leather wear... We wake up in the morning after this big storm and Nancy's walking on water and going bananas. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Sometimes witchcraft is drugs in this film. Yes. Sometimes witchcraft really is drugs. And uh, Nancy's gone too far. She's just got addicted to something bigger than... They were in it for the fun. They were in it for the teenage fun. And she's in it for all the power of the drug. Yes. You know, and the escapism and the having more control. Yeah, over something that oh, and she's, she's taken too much man on, and she feels it running through her when she's walking down the beach. <laughs> but yeah, I've said that she walks in from the water because she's literally gone off the deep end. You know, nice. Yeah, she is too far in, too far and over her head. Also, drugs have a lot less shark death. Yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually feel like there is a very specific, and I will look this up: a story where lots of sharks washed ashore and a witch was blamed. Yeah. So I feel like that is a nod to something, and I can check that. We'll have a look, and we'll put that up on. Yeah. Yeah. If we find it, we'll put it up on the socials. Yes. Well, um, the, uh, there's no good time to mention now. Might as well that the writer has again is on record as saying his initial inspiration for this film was from the case of Ricky Casso, who was a teenage Satanist and LSD enthusiast oh, yeah. who murdered a fellow seventeen-year-old in 1984. Yeah. Um, I say LSD enthusiast. He believed it was masculine, but it was probably low-grade LSD. And um, they had a falling out with his friend over some drugs that his friend had stolen from him. Stabbed him, killed him, murdered him, uh, and then said that a Satan appeared as a black crow uh, after he did the murder and caught in approval. And wow. this was his, he took it as yeah as approval from Satan that uh, that he'd done done a murder and that was a good thing. That's um, and and uh, this was the, the germ of the idea of this. He went back to later. He made a film called Ricky Six, uh, four years after the craft, which was a, a straight dramatization of that case and that killing. Yeah. Uh, he wrote and directed that. He only wrote uh, the craft, and. I feel like there's not very much of this original idea of this original story in the craft, but I think one of the ways it comes out possibly is in this sort of Nancy as an acid casualty. Yes, definitely. Yes. Nancy's super smart. So they are driving in a, in an erratic manner. It's Nancy driving. 
the girls around again teenage style it's that scene from clueless but not as fun um <laughs> where nancy's driving like a bit of a, a wild card and sarah is tr- desperately trying to ground everyone she's trying to bring everybody back into a reality space nancy's wearing black lip liner i feel like that's important <laughs> it's great she powers through a junction at one point to prove her point and I say Nancy Smart because she's using things like, is this a theological discussion now? Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are words in her lexus that denote that she is, she feels above trailer status. You know, she doesn't really belong there. She doesn't belong with these people. But she's for her. But then she makes this ridiculous move through the traffic to frighten everybody, to sort of go like, I'm in charge here. I have control. I could kill you if I wanted to. I don't have any feelings about it. Uh, again, high drugs. Yeah, she's she's extremely high on Manon. Yeah, and then she goes, that was actually pretty close. Yeah. And it's so natural and so chilling that it's like she knows she's losing control here. Yeah. She knows she's slipping, but just gives a look. Yeah, again, we're starting to see the magic take hold. So the next scene is, it just won't stop falling out. You know, uh, the racist bully getting an in inverted commas what she deserved <laughs> we get a few scenes now of consequences of actions yes absolutely and then uh, in fact so much so that rochelle's reflection is slightly out of whack um it's out of time with her it doesn't make any sense it's looking in the same direction as her and it's sort mm-hmm. of uh it looks away from what's right. happened um there was an entire scene with that that just didn't work um oh, that, so they know. cut most of it yeah there was a reason for it she had a whole sort of now I imagine it's because she had a storyline that had bulimia. Yeah. So of course body dysmorphia is all about mirrors, right? Of course, yes. Um much less so than a storyline about racism. Racism. But yeah. you know, it, it does make sense. Uh in a way. It's just sort of like her reflection is so repulsed that it also turns away at what she's done. Because it's also the duality of like at least before the film, you know, we'd you'd probably characterise her as a good person, right? Yeah. But this is like dark side of her, her shadow self or whatever, the mirror. Oh, yeah, definitely. That has vindictively caused in some way this misfortune to fall on this horrible racist girl in her class. Yeah, who is, of course, falling apart, as of course she would. Then we get kind of kind of sexy with Not Now Chris. <laughs> um that loose knit jumper in black over a white shirt is absolutely glorious. And Porter's head remix. Yeah. So you know that we're having a sexy time. Oh, it's not Chris in the knit jumper. It's uh, <laughs> it's Sarah. We've all had that weird date. We've all had that weird date where somebody, I think, I don't know about you actually, where you say, I love the colour blue. And they go, me too. I've always loved blue. And then you go... Oh, I'm not 100% on all blues. And they're like, no, not no. all blues are great. I'm yeah. flipping. It's so <laughs> distressing to me that people wouldn't just have an opinion and stick to it. But turns out this weird date is an attempted sexual assault moment because yeah. he is... Now, I will say, we all know this is an allegory, right? For hormonal drive and horrifying, like genuine rape culture within teen America circa 1996. But it's also supposed to be that he's entranced so hardcore that he can't actually do anything but what he's doing. He is magically driven to want to be with her and obsessive and possessive and then decides that the way to act on that is to attempt to rape her in the sand. He doesn't. She gives him a nice knee in the balls. Yeah. But it's still a really distressing moment, actually. It's really horrible because he goes from being this wounded puppy in in the most dangerous and realistic way, actually, a wounded puppy that's like, fine, I'll take it. And that's really frightening. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the horror moments. She has a run. 
to get away from him and ends up back at Rochelle's house. Yeah, yeah. It's an odd moment for me, that one, because he has been doing wounded puppy. Yeah. He just doesn't know what's going on. And for for him then to sort of suddenly turn to, yeah, attempted rape. There's there's no no way around that. It's it's unambiguous. It's a thing that doesn't really make sense to me as a character development for him, a character point, other than, as you say, that he he is somehow forced to by magic. Yeah, well, it, it does make sense because everybody's magic is going slightly askew. Everybody's magic, right, everybody's yes. spell is going slightly wrong. So the slightly wrong version of getting somebody to just be crazy about me is that they're actually crazy yeah. about you. Yeah, fair enough. You know, and it just goes, it goes awry. Nancy decides to get revenge uh, in a way, kind of, wearing the best dress I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, proper witch dress, proper witch Victorian style boots. Nancy Downs, absolutely. So... She's partially getting revenge for her past self, for being spurned by Chris. She's partially getting revenge because she genuinely feels like that's against Manon, I think. It's a real moment for Nancy to say, like, no, this isn't good enough. You can't treat somebody like this. But because she's already gone a bit crackers, she does it a lot worse than perhaps... Well, it depends. But she she certainly goes for it in a way that is um, far darker and essentially attempts to rape him back. Yes, it's uh, it's another mirroring. It's another sort of one of those consequences that comes along. Not quite, because it's not like it's not. Well, I mean, yes, in a way, it is a consequence. Like, is in it? Yeah, it comes from that. A couple of things I've read on this: uh, Catherine Spooner in her book *Fashioning Gothic Bodies*, nice, uh, as well as a little bit in *The Skin for Dancing*, both suggest that her primary motivation for this is uh, jealousy of yes of Sarah, which I never read it as that so much as just that she is coming into her powers here right and she's using looking for a way to use them yeah yeah, yeah. fair she's enough just fizzing with energy and mal intent drugs yes. <laughs> uh, yes she's in she's in an altered state and feels powerful yeah and that's a very drug response absolutely right? um certainly someone that has a drug problem and it almost and again that kind of breathing through the teeth thing with the mania is very cocaine sure you know but anyway don't spurn a an insane witch teenager who has hormones um she puts a glamour on herself to become sarah and then obviously because he's a little bit drunk and because he's a little bit enamored because he's like magic to to fancy sarah like i mean given that we've just seen him confusedly attempt to rape her like he's not going to be able to resist something that looks like her but is dressed like nancy that then that straddles him and says, make love to me. Yes, exactly. You could say genuinely that this entire film is a film just about consent. There's so many different types of things in here that would have benefited from some consent. There are lots of things that happen without it. There are lots of things that people consent to within it. You know, we have themes like, fair enough, the really obvious ones like double attempted rape and consenting to that really invasive surgery and saying, yes, I want this because I need it for something in my body. But then you have things like the invasion of dreams. You have that Nancy doesn't like being bound without her consent. Well, magic is non-consensual, really, isn't it? Or at least the magic that they do... The magic they're doing, yeah. ...is is non-consensual, with the possible exception of the descarification. Oh, yes, true. But... um, even then, in almost in order to keep it as a film about consent, Bonnie has a moment where she sort of 
weirdly aggressively comes on to that guy that walks past oh, it. Oh, yes. So it's yeah. still doing that, like, want-have yes. thing. Which is, what is it, id? It's the id, it's the yes, id. In, the, in the Freudian id. Yeah. Ego, id, and super-ego. Yes, it's id within that and being completely driven by id impulses. And again, 90s style, we have consequences for that. Yes. <laughs> Rather than just allowing it all to happen and then being like, that was sexy and cool. Always smoke, <laughs> kids. Always smoke. <laughs> so the real Sarah turns up, which is awkward. Yeah. And Chris says, you're a witch. They were right. And Nancy says, they usually are. And yeah. I love that line because it's so true. Absolutely great. I mean, not true of the witch trials, but so true of, of modern <laughs> time. But what a shame. Chris is gone. He has a terrible, like, I mean, his last, I think about this, his last moments on the earth, if you'd like, are just... Well, like, he's sorry, he's sorry, he's sorry, he's sorry. Well, That's I mean, first sure. of all, like, he, he's he's taken to bed by Nancy. Yeah. And But then he turns out he's taken to bed by Sarah, but then the real Sarah comes in and then he flies out the window and dies. And it's just like, oh, my goodness me, what was going through his head at, at the end there? You know, is that he's not a sympathetic character. But that is his curtain. The yeah. yeah. more, no more of him. Uh, Toes Along the Floor is great and a very old school nod to a lot of like sort of 60s witchcraft film. And then she tries to bind Nancy from doing harm. Yes. So that is clearly from the book The Craft that she was given earlier or she wouldn't have blimmin' known about it. Yep. But she's got a nice white ribbon and actually that's a thing. That's a thing that is known yeah well do. this is what i mean with most of it being yeah. sort of fairly um it's not a criticism because it's this is ultimately a film it's a teen yeah. film so it's a coming of age high school teen film not a documentary about the benefits of the wiccan faith no no so, exactly. like, there are, but then yeah. it is a dream sequence when they're flying it's yep. um and again everything's an illusion so as I said, you know, everything's a glamour. So yes. actually they're not really flying. You know, they are, they appear to be lifted. Something. It made me think of uh, Hocus Pocus. Uh, yes. Yeah. The um, sort of early, early 90s, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it um, might be 93, 94, somewhere around there. Fair enough. Uh, with um, Bette Midler? It is Bette Midler. It is Sarah Jessica Parker. It is that other amazing the actress. Other one. Kathy Najimi. Ah, thank you. Yeah. And uh, it, it yeah. struck me as, as weird, and I realise this is a, a dream sequence, you know, but it did strike me as weird when I was watching it that they went to the bother of hiring a Wiccan consultant and then had, like, they're, they're all dressed in, like, full goth drag, bursting in through a window and flying and levitating and stuff. Yeah. And it was like, because for most of the film, they treat it very sort of grown up and it's not really sensationalised. She has the Hocus Pocus dream, Sarah does, and then she's sort of cracking a little bit. Nancy is a very dangerous person with actual power. She has yeah. a perfect corset top, but she's still dangerous, you know. Yeah. And, you know, she, they accost her in the bathroom because they're like, please don't do spells on me. You know, yes. it's such a, it's not subtle, but it really works. Yeah, no, and Sarah really crumbles here as well. And she really sort of yeah. blusters and says, I didn't, I wasn't. And it is like a sort of bad mother, like yeah. bad parental telling off. Yes, yeah. But it's so direct as well. Yes. You know, it's uh, please don't do spells on me. Like she knew. And that's enough to freak Sarah out that Nancy knew that that was there. Um, also, the other two have had a complete character change of heart and are now bullies. Yes. Um, that That's an odd point for me. But they're also, they're wardrobe changes as well. And they're now all three of them. We're all sexy now. All sexy now. Yeah, dead right. But again, this is what I mean about the fewer clothes with more power. Yeah. But um, they're all wearing black and they're all yeah. in 
the sort of the troops of Nancy's army here. Yes, exactly, dead right. And um, we go back to future me and some inappropriate retail touching. <laughs> And then, oh, that's how the candles got lit, I've written in it. It's because we just clap them on like a, like a clapper, basically. So handy, yeah. So handy to be like, I light one, it lights all of them. Turns out me and Manon are like that. Is this inappropriate touching the bit with the actual altar? Uh, yes, where we go into the temple at the back. There's all the nineties temple. All black lit. Yes, the, yes. the most nineties witch temple I've written yes, down perfect. here. Yes, Nancy finds out that she's from a line of witches and that her mother was a witch and everything's nice. Um, it's a strange scene, and as you pointed out, um, she runs away from the one person that could actually help her. Yeah, well, it's set up because she's had that dream mm-hmm. where they all fly in through the window like in Hocus Pocus. Yes. One of them says to her, "Sweet dreams." Yeah. The sweet dream, which Strauss tells us that this is yeah, their, that's not their an magical dream. workings yeah. on her. And, and it's, so it's set up that she's she's been cowed, she's been broken down, she's frightened, she's not having a good time of it. We already know that she's got a history of yep. suicide attempts. So she's got nowhere to go, and then this is like her last refuge. Yeah, and she and says to the witch lady, like, I don't know where, I'm sorry, but I didn't know where else to, to go. I don't know anyone that knows about this stuff. Yeah, and she's teary, and the woman takes her back to the Black Lip Palace, and it's... It's interesting, you know. She fills her in very quickly about what's what, and yeah. But hey, it's it feels like it's set up for like this is going to be. Yeah, but I still think it's the only way they could tell us that her mother was a witch, so that we know where she gets any of this power from. Yeah. But you know the natural witch business that was mentioned to her earlier, but also so that when a picture comes to life, Harry Potter style, we're not like wah <laughs> later <laughs> yes. on. Yes, it also gives us. We not forget that this is a horror film, so we've got the sort of she's the final girl. So yes. you've got that com- the confrontation thing. She has to find that strength in herself. And to be fair to her, the reason she runs away from that woman is because a wall explodes. Yeah, yeah, no, as it's far terrifying. As she's concerned. So she disappears. She does another little Snow White run through the streets again, and comes home to terrifying news. She's got Nancy on the phone saying, "Your parents left. You know, they left on a flight. The flight." Turn on the TV, and the yeah. TV turns itself on, and there was a plane crash, and definitely, definitely the same plane that her parents are on it is crashed, crashed. and there are no survivors. It's no specifically survivor. said that nobody survived the crash. Yeah. Um, really lovely touch with snake shadows on the windows. It's lovely, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I only noticed it the second time. I didn't see it the first time. Ah, so there's snaky shadows. And I've put here, in fact, I'm right. <laughs> I've put here, uh, to be fair, a lot of these symptoms can be severe bipolar. Yeah. Where you well, have... We have that scene earlier where she talks about when she was really, really bad and she used to hallucinate... Yes. Snakes. Yep. I think. I'm pretty sure she, she did, yeah. I used to bugs. have bugs crawling all over me. Yeah, yeah. and I would, I would open my eyes and they'd still be there and they wouldn't go over, which is exactly what is happening to her here. Yeah. They... This is also the return of the gothic mansion yes. trope stereotype And lightning. Idea. Yeah. And they, they have deliberately picked something that would psychologically mess with her. Because yes. they picked her own vision that she shared with yeah, them about. Yeah, because she is, told them about it. Or she's having a psychotic break. True. But it's a teenage nightmare, right? So it's, um, I revealed some secret things about myself and then those bitches used it against yeah. me. And again, that's something that you get in those teen films, those high school drama things. It is a high school drama, I feel, in a lot of ways, just with like a witch's hat on. It's yeah. not a criticism. It's got a lot of carry about it, I think. Um, it's. I would say it's written by someone that enjoyed Carrie and liked elements of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the terrible mother, the um, exploding microwave, the revenge, sort and of the, quiet revenge, but from a horrible person. Yeah, and then for me, like the similarity, and I, I, we will cover Carrie in a future episode. Yeah. There's nothing so sure, but uh, is that the 
elements of horror, if you'd like, are the very real terrestrial evil that is in people. Yeah. The threat is magical, but we are told explicitly earlier in the film that magic itself is not good or bad, it's just how it is used. And it's all all of Nancy's sort of insecurities and her jealousies and her pain and you know all of the sides to her that you know, can't yeah. deal with the power yeah they make her really mean and nasty and and i feel like it shares that idea of the the real sort of mortal evil if you'd like yeah yeah i would say that um do you know when i'm covered in snakes and scorpions and i have a maggot toilet and there are hair rats do you know where i like to hang out where do you like to hang out my bar <laughs> weird choice surely get out of there well, yeah know. i mean she's not grab a knife thinking. i know she's panicking and having yeah. a terrible time but still um nancy acts like this whole thing is a game and if i was as pathetic as you are i would have killed myself ages ago which i compared to cyberbullying because it is such a and cyberbullying i mean it's barely a thing in 1996 yeah well. um it's it is a thing just you'd have to have quite a dial-up connection to uh have space to bully anyone you know, I would have killed myself ages ago is such a getting into, into a person with suicidal tendencies head and saying probably one of the worst things you could to them. It's awful. Um, yes, well, I wanted to, at this point, I want to talk about classification and censorship because this uh, film is a 15 in yes. the UK. It was 15 in the cinema. It's a 15 on home media. It was uh, last classified in 1998. And in the States, it uh, holds an R rating, which uh, I looked up what an R rating means. And (laughs) it says, under-17s require accompanying parent or guardian to go and see the film. (laughs) Can you imagine watching this with your mum? Well, it's crazy. I mean, because in almost all other elements of it, as in there's no nudity, there's not really any language that I can recall. It's it's not really full of effing and jeffing. There might be the odd... A little bit of profanity. Yeah, actually, no, it's not wild. And I think um, it's actually very little blood. Yeah, Um, it's not gory. I mean, there's some unpleasant... Well, Chris flies out of a window and we don't see him dead. You know, that's not 18 territory. No. And uh, and the snakes and things are unpleasant, but they are they're just snakes. You yeah, know, Indiana you know. Jones also has snakes. Yeah, exactly. So in all of these ways, it does seem like they were shooting for a 12 or a PG-13 in yeah. the states. But uh, it seems to be. I wasn't able to find the BBFC's website. Sometimes have like their breakdown of why. Uh, yeah. why a thing has got a certain certificate but it doesn't have it for every film because there are thousands and so it doesn't have any info but my assumption is that it was the teen suicide teen theme suicide and attempted rape isn't made it isn't great for a 12 not great for a 12 but again the attempted rape is not graphic i'm not i'm not downplaying it's not graphic it, but it is explicit. but it's an adult theme yeah 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 there are always discussions back and forth with the, the yes. rating board and everything. But, but also I wonder if this is a leftover from the same things that got that scene censored from Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Where actually we don't want teenagers doing some of this stuff. This girl is playing with knives and slitting her friend. You know, yeah. it's, it's um, we don't really want them doing magic. But also uh, yes. she cut her with a knife. You <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. And bully and tries to bully her into... And of course, yeah, you've got, yeah. The, you've got the non-movie way, the, the scars, right? Yeah. And of course the reason the scars are the other way in films is if people imitate it they've got a better chance of of survival but uh, i say it was last classified in 1998 i do wonder if it would still be a 15 now i'm not saying that it wouldn't interesting i just think it would be an interesting thing when my manic friend 
slits my wrist for me, the first thing I do is pour up my medicine cabinet like a cat and knock <laughs> everything down. It's, well, it's a panic response. I can I understand guess. this. Yes, I just feel, I don't know. Um, hello, Mum. We've got Harry Potter photos before Harry Potter. Just out of interest. <laughs> uh, who in that house was writing their memoirs? You know, so that a uh, strong wind, for a strong Nancy wind <laughs> oh, could yeah. blow all the memoirs off the bureau. This yeah. is unlikely. The stepmum, I think, basically said something about curtains, and that was her only line. Yeah. And the dad is so without empathy that she Sarah ends up saying like, "Don't touch me," uh, <laughs> instead of like expressing her feelings. So yes. I think of anyone, maybe it's Sarah writing hers. She crawls away upstairs, and decides to invoke. Manon. Manon, as uh, the lady in the witch crypt shop uh, told her. And, and her mum. And her mum, of course, yes. But it's interesting, again, looking at its treatment of witchcraft in yeah. general, in that there's never any idea that exorcists start that she should go to the church, right? We're, nope. There's a lot of Christian stuff in the movie, right? You know, yeah. They're, they're, they're at Catholic school. They're, they, get, they, they attend they mass. They attend mass. Clearly... That would be something that would be open to her if she was remotely that way yes. inclined. But there's never any suggestion that it's it's not even that they're in opposition. It's just that Christianity just isn't just doesn't get a look in. No, <laughs> no. Uh, and it is important, as I say, that they were doing. And I think the filmmakers have read an interview with them. There's a Huffington Post article from the 20th anniversary of the film from 2016 that I yeah. read a lot of this from, uh, where they said they were when they got the. Our rating, and they said they spoke to the board, and they were very clear like, this isn't about black magic, this is about this is Wiccan, and that it isn't Satanism, and they're very, very clear on that. And this is yes. one of the ways that they are because it isn't a matter of being against God, it's set out very clearly earlier when she says that the only, the only good or bad is in the heart of the witch, which is something That's that the, nice, uh, yeah. the shopkeeper lady says, Yeah, that future me says, Future you, future me, I'm practicing my accent. But yes, then she yes, invokes Manon. Yes, she invokes Manon, Manon um, but sort of for the forces of good, if you like, and says this wonderful line to Nancy being like, I've, essentially, I've chatted with God and you're in trouble. I've had a little powwow with Manon and I think we both know you're really up to your knees in it. You, you haven't used the gifts properly. Yes, you've been given. Yeah, you've been given a great thing. Because she, she heals her wrists. She does. <laughs> you know, through the power of... Manon, right? Yeah. Bonnie and Rochelle are sent up by Nancy to see to her and uh, she uses the power of Manon that she that she's just uh, invoked to get them to see themselves with their magic coming back to them times three, which isn't to say it actually has, but she uses the the fear of that to her advantage. So like Bonnie sees herself with scars all over her face and for some reason Rochelle sees herself as balding. Now I know that's what she did to her bully, yeah, but, it but it also it, doesn't equate. It doesn't you know, equate. No, no. But you can't show somebody being treated very racistly in, no. in a reflection like that. That's true. And it, it also, because it play, plays upon the earlier scene where she looks into the shower and sees her bully who's very yeah. bolded and, it, and looks worried by it. So it, it does play into that of, true. of bringing that worry and bringing that fear back onto her. Yeah, and then Nancy comes up to start basically doing the I have to do everything myself yes. <laughs> mindset and gets this talking to from Sarah who then turns her fingers into snakes and covers her in bugs. Nancy was rolled around on the floor in a green screen right. basically and they mapped 
all the bugs onto her later, but it's actually very convincing. Nineteen ninety six graphics. Because most great. of the gubbins, if you'd like, most of the snakes, the method that they used, although it's perhaps obvious, was just to put a, have a lot of snakes on set. Uh, three hundred snakes. Three hundred. That's a lot of snakes. By any metric, that's a lot. Yeah. And yeah, most of these visitations are not CGI. They just. Yeah, most of the ones that are kind of heaving out of stuff and flopping around the place are real snakes. And in fact, obviously, it's part of that 300 snakes that are mapped onto her body, but they're filmed separately right. so that she didn't just have to have cockroaches coming out of her eyes. Yes. Nancy looks like a little child when she realises that she's probably not going to win and does like a, you know, it all got out of hand and I'm sorry yeah. chat, which is so sad and kind of heartbreaking. Doesn't like being bound, though. I do worry. I do. Yes, I do wonder. Watching that scene, I do wonder how sincere it's not. that is. It's not. Not if you can fly into a rage at being bound. No, I know, but there's. She's. I suppose she just does it very well. Where yeah. there's like a moment where you. It isn't. It isn't delivered sarcastically. Nope. You not know. At all. It is. It's delivered as sincere. It's. It's she, only her behaviour immediately following that that gives it the lie. But it is like a moment of the person in there. Yes. Coming coming through. I even if feel it's just like for show. I feel like she looks like a coiled snake in that scene. Like she's doing the thing that a baddie does before it snow- throws sand in the protagonist's eyes. Yeah. You know, where it's like, or like, um, uh, I am faking wounded, but yeah, I am exactly. hiding a knife. Exactly. All of that. Very scar. And yeah, she doesn't like binding. Binding makes her fly and punch. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, Sarah is crushed real, by Yeah, real, real murderous uh, punching yeah, as well. Like it's really, horrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's she really, really goes for it. But again, it looks like when someone's taken a lot of drugs and they yes. don't quite know what they're doing. Yeah. But however, the drug metaphor doesn't necessarily work for Sarah, uh, other than maybe she is better at it. You know, she's she has a better, better time. Better drugs. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, she has more control over herself. Maybe she's using yes. it for good. Maybe it's ayahuasca. Who knows? <laughs> or penicillin um, or something. Yeah, exactly. So Sarah gets crushed by an ugly bureau. Really nice shot with the inflatable clothes. Um, she sort of appears as a pile of her own clothing and then reinflates. Yeah. It's yeah, it, the effects are nice because it wasn't a big but I mean it was I say it wasn't big budget. They had millions, but not tens of millions. No. It wasn't a big budget film and I think that they marshaled it and spent it pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, she kicks Nancy away mm-hmm. uh, when she reforms and then it flashes sort of to f- future if you like. Yes. Or after that. Slightly after that. The outfits, the only bad outfits in the whole film are in the last scene of the three girls together. So that's Sarah, Bonnie and Rochelle. I'm not going to lie, like a, a wrong length striped silk shirt in metallic plum and brown is so wrong. I don't know how you dress Neve Campbell badly. <laughs> and then a satin silver pregnancy n- number on Sarah. Yeah, my my only thought was that it was to try and make them look different older to, experience to sort of, well it's just to sort of get them away from it's, oh, it's so the that Nancy it's the army yeah it's so that it's like visual shorthand but when you meet them you know that yes. they are different in some way even if it's just like well, why are they wearing you know that well some... i don't know sarah managed to age 10 years yeah. i wonder if they filmed it quite a long time after <laughs> the first scene but yes you're dead right and she just says to them like Lol, 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 I can still do magic by throwing a tree branch at them with her mind. Yes, well, this is what I think one of my notes is. There's no sort of Scooby-Doo rationalist cop-out here. Like, no. magic is definitely real in this world and Sarah can definitely do it. They can't. I yes. believe I believe um, Rochelle, when she says that we they, they can't we do it anymore, they lost their powers, yeah. I believe her. 
but, but Sarah hasn't. And yeah, magic is real and it can kill you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, they say we're sorry, and then they sort of tail off, and she says like, "What's sorry about trying to kill me?" There's no softening of any of this at the end. You know, usually, not usually, but this is this could be traditionally a time for sort of reconciliation, mm-hmm. for reflection, and all this stuff. And um, but it isn't. And then we end the film with something that will always be harrowing, which is um, Nancy in an insane asylum, essentially bound to the bed in every way possible being injected in the groin which is just very nasty and very um matter of fact and then screaming i'm flying yeah scratches on the face and again yeah. it's the acid casualty yeah. thing and i think that is where that comes through the the idea of the sort of the abuse of witchcraft and abuse of drugs being very closely linked well i also imagine that this is sarah's revenge to say she just came in here acting crazy she's yeah, talking she about manon she, yeah um, she thinks she can fly and all this stuff and actually she can <laughs> but now yeah. it's manifesting in like more and more powerful more and more drastic ways it's interesting because i don't fully understand if she still thinks she's got powers but she's just gone crackers mm-hmm. and the other two girls have lost their powers why does why do they lose their powers is an interesting point. But it could be that Nancy was the power point, but Sarah was born with it. Yeah, I took it as that there's definitely an element of renunciation in the way that Rochelle and Bonnie turn their back on it when they yes. look in the mirror and they realise, oh... <laughs> yeah, then they're like, that, we're out. Yeah, We'll get out of hand and we are sorry. Uh, and they, they leave. And I feel like there's a... There's definitely an element of yeah yeah renunciation in that, because it could be that it's just cracked Nancy's mind, like whether whether or not she does all that still power, have power, yeah. you know. She asked for all the power of Manon. Yeah, and then yeah. she says, you know, when she's walking up the beach and all of the whales he's are there and me. she's screaming about, yeah, he's in me. He's my father now. Um, no, it, it's very sexual, uh, but also that when she's sort of babbling about the whales being this gift. And it yeah. is—it is like she's a, she has cracked. Yeah, you know, she's a, it's yeah. too much, too much to run through a human a mortal body. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. I mean, there is a sequel which neither of us have seen. No, and I—I I, I knew you'd bring that up because <laughs> <laughs> it makes logical sense. I haven't seen it. I haven't officially boycotted it. It didn't come out with the best kind of timing for me to have seen it, <laughs> but I am concerned (laughs) because as you can hear i clearly love this film and uh a sequel is fine and dandy i don't see the point or the need because the whole point is that it's wrapped up in this horrible she's gone mad you know cautionary tale thing that i really appreciate and that is really common in 90s films about this stuff where there's always these consequences to your actions things yeah but who knows what what they've done with it i will get round to watching it when I can watch it for free. <laughs> <laughs> if well, I was going to say if you've seen it, but then actually yes, we don't want. If you've seen it, we don't want to know. Yes, keep what it you think, because we are going to watch it at some point. Yeah, um, but I mean, you can yay or nay us. Let us know if it's any good. Yes, yes, just um, do. But don't no spoilers. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> next week we're going to be looking at Crimson Peak. That's uh, very available to watch. Yeah, it's the uh, Guillermo del Toro film from 2015, which is on Netflix, certainly, and Prime as well, and it's available to rent from YouTube, YouTube, and it's also on 
disc. Yeah, it's on fancy disc. Fancy as well, disc. If you want yeah, a there's a set. there's a nice looking Arrow set uh, as well, and um, it's got Tom Hiddleston in it. Yeah, and it's really it is really good, and it's also uh, quite interesting as well. So uh, get hold of that. Uh, watch that if you want to join us again. That would be splendid. Yes. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, there are many ways to do it now because we're super cool. So um, you can email us at hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com yep. or send us a message, follow us, poke us with a stick on Instagram. That's haunted underscore picture underscore palace. But you can leave a comment on the website. Leave uh, a review. You can if leave a you review. find us somewhere, that would be grand because uh, more reviews is more views is more listens. Yeah, which is all, all of which are good things. Uh, if you'd like to tell your friends, if you didn't like us, tell your enemies, you know, as they say in in the theatre. Aye. <laughs> oh, aye. Oh, yes. Um, okay, thank you. Thank thanks. you, bye. Oh, bye. Bye, have oh, fun, bye. Bye. Oh. bye. I thought you were collecting little bits and pieces from our edits. I do, but you know, we usually come out with them um, during the. Um, it's true. The gubbins. Did uh, you know that it's all true? I might keep this bit. I'm gonna love this bit. What's all true? It's all true is an anagram of illustrate. Oh, is that is that true? Connie Francis.